Hi, and welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spoopy movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Hi, this is Katie. And hi there, I am Brittany. And this is the Grindhouse Girls Podcast. Welcome to our show. Hello. Hi. <laughs> hey. Um, so um, this week... We are doing the uh, 1975 cult classic, The Brood, the which Brood. is on H- yeah, is on HBO Max as of right now, which today is March 24th, 2021. So yes, <laughs> and it's it's also on Criterion Collection, and it is part of the Criterion Collection. So how are you, Brittany? I am good. I thought I would share a fun fact for our movie lovers today. Ooh, um, yes. 37 years ago, today, a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal <laughs> met for detention. Aww. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> it's the Breakfast Club. It is, yeah. And that's, uh, it literally, it popped up as a reminder that they actually met on Saturday, March 24th, 1984. Aww, that's great. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I bet there are people listening that have never seen the breakfast club maybe not this podcast (laughs) but i bet there are people in the world who haven't seen the breakfast club which is sad it's such a good movie it's such a it is it's a classic Mm -hmm. so anyways so enough about that um i guess we'll move on to housekeeping yes um did you have any housekeeping I didn't. I feel bad because I know before we even begin recording, you go, I have a lot of housekeeping. So I got ready for it. (laughs) It's not a ton. There was one thing. It's not really housekeeping. It's more of just um, we were talking about the mirror house. I mentioned the mirror house two faces and George Siegel died. Oh, yeah. So sad. If you don't, he played Jack in Just Shoot Me, which is probably what most people know him from. But he was also in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And he plays the best friend of the main character in The Mirror Has Two Faces. And he was on the Goldbergs as the, yeah. currently, as um, the, I think he's the grandfather of one of the he's parents. He's also in Don't uh, Look Who's Talking, which was another movie I grew up with. Yeah. he He's consistently funny, and it's very sad. He, I guess, was having surgery, and he died of complications during surgery. He was 87. And I'm sad about that because I really liked him, even though I honestly hadn't watched the Goldbergs. But I was like, literally, the fact that he was in it made me like want to be like, well, I might watch it for George Siegel. Um, but yeah, so that was sad news. But he had a very long, long, very successful career. So yeah, and he seemed like he enjoyed life. So I'm sad to see him go, but happy for him to go on to the next adventure because I'm sure it's somewhere good. Um, house, real housekeeping though. Um, I was wrong. Gary Oldman has indeed won an Oscar and, um, he won it in 2018 for the darkest hour where he played Winston Churchill. 
So sorry ah. if y'all were screaming at your <laughs> Spotify apps going, oh my God, he did win an Oscar. So he's not going to win it this year, guys. So <laughs> BT Dubs also, um, Mank is actually nominated for more Academy Awards than any other movie too this year. I still need to watch it. I will, but I still yeah. need to watch that one. Um, and Steven Yeun, um, the horror movie I was trying to remember is called Mayhem. And it's on Shudder right now. Um, I still want to watch that. And then Mike Flanagan's wife's name is Kate Katie Siegel. Spelled oh, that's right. Than George Siegel. Yeah. Well, I was just like, I was like, I feel bad that I don't remember her name because she literally is one of the best parts of Haunting of Hill House, and yeah. she carries Hush as well. Um, oh yeah, she's just such a good actress. Well, I even in really Blind like Manor, even though her role is like smaller in Blind Manor, you know who the fuck she is in Blind Manor. I haven't gotten to an episode where she's on Blind Manor because I haven't finished it yet. <gasps> oh, okay. Well, you've seen her, you just don't know who she is yet. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll say that without um, without spoilers. Okay. So okay. scary. <laughs> Actually, it's unpopular opinion. Like I personally thought that um, Haunting of Hill House was scarier season. But Haunting of Blind Manor, there's a lot of people who don't like it as much. But man, that that second season will rip your heart out. Like, absolutely. I I think it's like, just the episode about her fiancé made me like, I was like, oh my god. Like, it's so emotionally jarring. Um, And the Haunting of Hill House series, I will say this. um, It's one of the few series that has, one of the few things I've seen that scared me so bad. I literally felt nauseous watching it. It was really scary. And, um, but I also enjoy rewatching Haunting of Hill House because of all the ghosts in the background and all the stuff mm-hmm. to look out for. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what all I had in housekeeping. Um, did you watch anything fun? Oh, yeah, I sure this did. Week? I'm actually excited this week. Um, so, um, as we have talked about last uh, week, we have officially started beginning our Oscar countdown. We are less than a month to the Oscars. Um, Ooh. and, I actually watched the first of eight Best Picture nominees, which was The Sound of Metal, um, which Ooh. is the Amazon Prime original movie. So Awesome. With Riz Ahmed. Yeah, it is How good. It? It's good. Um, now, I will say this. It's kind of a uh, slower moving piece. It's really like a vehicle for Riz Ahmed's acting. Mm-hmm. Um, he is phenomenal in this movie. Um, but... And, um, this is slight spoilers, but this happens within the first 30 minutes of the film. I'm sure you'll know getting into this movie. So he is uh, one half of a group, um, him and his girlfriend. His girlfriend's a singer. He's a drummer. Um, and they have their, their van, they, they're, they're touring. So a small band touring across the U.S. And he starts to lose his hearing drastically. Um, so uh, the implants, the cochlear implants are like $40,000. Um, mm-hmm. They're not covered by insurance. So... Um, he freaks out, understandably. So he's a recovering addict. His sponsor um, gets him involved in deaf community. And so um, this is like in the first 30 minutes of the film. It's a two-hour movie. That's not a huge spoiler alert. But the movie is really about him learning to come to terms with that he's deaf. And yeah. kind of like his journey. Um, and there's there's a few little twists here and there. But, I mean, it's a beautiful movie. But it's a quiet movie. If you're, It's more um, performance-centric. I will okay. say it. So I, I really enjoy it, but I really enjoy watching those type of movies where an actor just kind of throws themselves into the role. I think you need to watch Pieces of a Woman, which is what I watched. Well, one of the things I watched this weekend was I finally watched Pieces of a Woman, um, which Netflix has been try- telling me to watch it for, like, forever. 
Um, also, by the way, Shia LaBeouf is in that movie. I heard. I didn't know he was. I was just like, there's a guy talking. Huh, it looks kind of familiar. And I was like, that's Shia LaBeouf. It's Shia LaBeouf. He actually does a pretty good job in this. There's only like maybe one or two two parts where I was kind of like, oh, he's Shia LaBeoufing it all over the place. Which I don't, I don't hate Shia LaBeouf, but I do think he is somebody who wants to be a good actor and has he does have acting ability definitely but he really like if you let him loose mm -mm. like i have seen scenes from uh what nymphomaniac and he like has a british accent and it's just not good but this movie he's like playing like an everyday working man kind of guy so he does a very good job with that and if you don't know what pieces of a woman is about um i guess spoilers spoilers a little bit um, basically, uh, the main character is played by Vanessa Kirby. Her, uh, character's name is, I think, Martha. And she was Princess Margaret in the, in the first couple episodes of The Crown. The first couple seasons of The Crown. So, you'll probably recognize her, but she has brown hair in The Crown. So, she has blonde hair in this one, which is why I was like, I know this lady, but I could not place her for a second. Um... It's really about her journey of what happens when she um, is, like, a first-time mom. And there's this grueling, I think it's 23 to 30-minute um, labor and delivery scene. And she decides to have a home birth. And her original midwife can't make it, so she sends, like, her second-in-command. And something goes terribly, terribly wrong. And it's her and her partner, who's played by Shia LaBeouf, and the um, midwife, who's Molly Parker, which you've definitely seen. She's been in, like, everything. Um, and, like, her mom and her sister. Um, it's all of them kind of dealing with the aftermath of, like, what do you do and how do you move on? And it's really more about her as a character coming to terms with it. And I don't want to get too much into it because it will spoil everything. Um, but, cause, but the tragic stuff happens, like, right up front. But it's more of, like, how she's dealing with the situation and how he's dealing with the situation. And it's just one of those things that people go through a yeah. lot. And, I mean, I go, okay, spoilers, something happens to the baby. And it's something that has happened to, like, uh, not this specific situation, but I know a lot of people who have lost a child, like, when they were almost at full term. Like, I yeah. just had a friend recently, her um, sister, or sister-in-law, just lost a baby at seven months. Like, she had the baby shower. Oh, my or God. Or the baby shower was scheduled the week after she lost the baby. Like, she lost the baby, like, a week before the baby shower. And I have family members who have lost a baby at, like, seven months. Like, mm -hmm. it is awful, and everybody has to process it differently. Um, but this isn't really... This one, like, is – and the hard thing with losing a baby and losing a child is there's no blame to be placed in a lot of situations. It just happens. Babies are a lot more fragile than I think the general public understands because a lot of people are just like, oh, birth happens every day. It's an easy thing. And um, it's not always. It is something natural, but it's not always, and things can go wrong. And that's why, like, for me personally, I am not judging anyone who has a home birth. You do whatever makes you happy. But to me, it's I like the idea of a home birth. But if anything goes wrong, 
I want to be in a hospital where there's like 8,000 doctors that I can choose from to save me and my baby's life. My potential and, maybe I don't have a baby. And this is where, like, it gets complicated. And, yeah. um, and you, as our viewers, you probably know that me and Katie um, do not have human children. Um, I'm a very proud fur parent. But um, I have a lot of friends, as Katie does, who um, who are parents. And so one of my uh, my good friends actually did have a home birth. And, um, did she they like had, it? She loved it. Like, okay. loved it. And so, it sounds her, nice, but it scares me. With her situation, um, with her particular situation, um, there is a form of labor. Um, it's not very common, but this was her first child. And she, from the time she had her first contraction to she gave birth was like an hour, which is well, not normal. Her. Yeah, she had a very speedy labor, but her midwife didn't even get there in time for the baby to be born. Oh, God. Yeah. So, see, sometimes it's yeah. fine. But it is to fine. me... I'm always like, I'm just afraid it's going to happen. And this reason, movie made me <laughs> reinforce yeah, that in my head. The, I was like, reason, the reason a lot of people, my understanding is that a lot of people don't go to hospitals as much. or they uh, There are people in our generation that are deterring from hospitals. is because a lot of hospitals, if you have a birth plan, they throw the birth plan out the window and they don't respect your birth plan. Um, so that is a thing. For, for example, like it is scientific knowledge that, you know, you shouldn't cut the cord immediately after the baby is born you should let the placenta come out everything and then cut the cord you're letting the cord cool down and so like women have requested like you know i don't want my cord the baby's cord to be immediately um cut and doctors will still do it they they just don't listen to the mother and i think that's well, where we're I think having it depends yeah. on the hospital and the doctor yeah. you choose though and the tough thing yeah. about birth mm-hmm. is that so many times and this is in the movie like he's like Shia LaBeouf's like, hey, remember how we threw cards on the table and, you know, sometimes things don't go completely to plan? This is one of those situations. That happens because babies choose yeah. when they want to be born and they aren't on a schedule. So yeah. most people, not always, but a lot of people do, like, they have a specific doctor they're supposed to have. That doctor's off when they go into labor, so they have to go to a different doctor. So, like, I think birth is probably one of the scariest things because it's like kind of like appendicitis. You never know when it's going to hit you, so it's really hard to plan for it. Like, you can plan, but all the planning in the world isn't going to necessarily prepare you for a birth situation because there are so many things that can go wrong. But also, some people, like, nothing goes wrong, and you have a baby in, like, an hour. Like, that's kind of, like, this movie, like, they kind of speed up the birthing process, but it's still, like, a 30-minute. It's brutal, and the main actress has never given birth, and, oh, my God, I can't believe she's never given birth because I was feeling the labor pains. It's it's really good. I highly recommend it, but it is definitely, like, a settle-in-for-the-gloom kind of movie. But yeah. It's only two hours, so it's really not – it's really not too much to watch. Um, but the other thing I watched – which this is a discussion all its own, but it's a movie theme discussion. So I I was watching Alan V. Farrow, which is the docu series on HBO about the Woody Allen and Mia Farrow um, situation, which I'm sure you know about, Brittany. Oh yeah. Um. So okay, a few months weeks ago, we were doing uh, Under the Skin, and you mentioned Vicky Christina Barcelona. And that was one of the reasons why Scarlett Johansson was cast was because of her performance in Vicky Christina Barcelona. And I was like, I've never seen it. And I couldn't remember why I hadn't seen it. And then I remembered, it's a Woody Allen movie. And I have not voluntarily seen a Woody Allen movie since college. Because I was a child. I was three 
when his um, alleged abusive escapades came into the public eye. And when I was, I guess after college is when Dylan Farrow wrote that open letter and I read it. I believe her personally. Um, I believe her 110%. And I think Woody Allen allegedly is kind of a fucking monster in real life. He's a really good director, but also all of his movies are kind of the same thing at this Mm -hmm. point. So, mm-hmm. like, I feel like I'm not missing a whole lot not, not watching his movies. But I haven't – the only Woody Allen movies I've watched is Curse of the Jade Scorpion, which I watched when I was really little. And I watched um, Annie Hall in college. And then I was going to watch Manhattan, and I haven't. And have you seen Manhattan? I have. And I actually, that's the one of the main things I think about on Manhattan that unsettles me is yes. that his character is a grown man, I think, in love with a 16-year-old girl. Yes. Well, she's 17 yeah. in the movie. But the girl, yeah. the girl, the real girl that he dated when she was 16 has given interviews about it. Like, he really did date a high schooler. And the thing about Woody Allen that bothers me is that we put such a pass on him. And, yes, I mean, and I, the reason that it bothers me is, like, I've had a, a like, a, a work colleague who really likes movies, and she has pretty good taste in movies, and she would go out and see, like, movies that, like, only movie lovers will go see. And she was like, oh, the new Woody Allen movie's out. Aren't you going to go see it? And I was like, no. And she's like, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't watch Woody Allen movies anymore. And she's like, why? And I was like, because he allegedly raped his seven-year-old adopted daughter, and he married his 21 well they she wasn't 21 when they married but he had a sexual relationship with his stepdaughter and is married to her now i don't trust a person like that and i don't want to give him my money like because like maybe maybe it is all lies it does not seem to be all lies but people believe him because they want to because they don't want to stop watching his movies but honestly i think he's a bit of an overrated director at this point and i've never seen like i don't honestly like annie hall's fine i don't think annie hall's that good of a movie i'm sorry I'm sorry, but I didn't think it was that special of a movie. I saw it once. It was, I'm glad I saw it at the time, but I mean, I don't think it's that amazing. I think it looks cool, but I don't know. And now I will never see Manhattan until he dies. Once he dies, I'll watch his movies. When he's not getting a penny, I'll watch his movies. I just don't feel like giving money to that kind of person. And But Woody Allen is still making movies in Europe. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So is Roman Polanski. Yeah, and I was about to say, Roman Polanski was literally nominated for Academy Awards. And recently? As recent as The Piano came out, what, early 2000s? 2000, the Pianist, The Pianist, like that's oh, yeah. at 2004. Yeah, 2004, because uh, Adrian Brody? Adam Adrian Brody. Brody. Adrian Brody, yeah. Because that was the year he kissed Halle Berry when mm-hmm. she won Best Actress, yeah. Oh, I was watching live that year, I was like, what yeah. the fuck? I just, like, I don't know. It bothers me. And there's, okay, like, and it's one thing, it's not, I mean, it doesn't make it any worse. But the thing is, like, these, both these situations are dealing with children. Yeah. Well, my thing I think that bothers me is that even, let's say, okay, before the incident happened, we have these movies like Annie Hall and stuff. And, oh, Diane Keaton, she's a star. And maybe, like, okay, fuck him as a person. But at the same time, we won't just like do away with these movies because so many great actors were in them that didn't have any idea what was going on that I can understand. 
but then he's still making movies and actors are still working with him. Yes. I think that's what bothers me. It's not the old yes. movies that were made it's the, before. It's current, yeah. Yeah, it's the ones that are coming out after. And, you know, I was thinking, well, I mean, Dylan Farrell didn't write her letter until, you know, the early 2000s. But people knew it was going on in 1992. And yeah. they still signed up for movies. Anything after 92? Yeah. What the hell? If nothing and else, his relationship with Sunni. And that's what's trying, that's what I think is oh. complicated, even about things with, like, the Me Too movement, is explaining to men over and over again, they're like, okay, if Bill Cosby raped you, why didn't you say Bill Cosby raped you? Why do you have to all say, like, there's 40 people saying Bill Cosby drugged you or raped you? And I'm like, because literally you have these powerful figures and there's mm -hmm. nothing you can do when there's just one person saying it because they won't believe you they don't believe the victim they believe the person right yeah but then finally when there's a breakthrough you can say this happened to me too and this happened to me too but this is a kind of it's it's what you see over and over again is that people are really are are willing to do whatever it takes for their careers even if mm -hmm. it's morally wrong that's something yep. we keep seeing over and over and over and over again. So. And that's, oh, and I don't know if I finished this this tangent, but with, with my coworker who likes to see movies, when she was so distraught that I wasn't going to see a new Woody Allen film, I can't, it might have been Vicky Cristina Barcelona, but I don't think it was. I think it was, oh, the Kate Blanchett one. That It looked really good, and I like Kate Blanchett. Oh, Blue Jasmine. Blue Jasmine. I think she that was won the, one the that she Academy Award for Best Actress that year for that movie. I was, she was like, but Katie, you have to learn to separate the art from the artist. And I look at her with a BFA in musical theater like, no, I don't have to. No one has to separate the art from the artist. I can appreciate a good movie and know that the person who made it is a monster. There, I mean, Stanley Kubrick, for instance, was not a nice director to a lot of people. He fucking terrorized Shelley Duvall. He didn't yeah. rape anybody, to my knowledge, though. So, like, there's that. Like, but I, I can still watch The Shining and appreciate it. But isn't it sad that we have to be like, at least he didn't rape anybody. You know what, but, I mean, though? But how, so how often do we see, like, well, he's brilliant. Okay, so he's Who a brilliant fuck cares? He's a brilliant director and writer or actor, and he gets to get a free pass because he's talented. Like, there is a world full of talented people that don't even get recognition because they weren't born into the mm. right family. So, I don't I think, get it. Yeah. The one that bothers me the most is definitely Kevin Spacey. Not that I was as surprised as some people were because he does seem like he would be a creep. Um, but... I'm disappointed because he is in a lot of movies that I love to watch and his performance is one of the reasons why I love to watch them. And I hate, I hate that he's a scumbag because now I'm like, all these movies I like with Kevin Spacey in him and I can't fucking watch him without thinking, ew, Kevin Spacey's in this movie. Like we were talking about Baby Driver. I'm like, I like Baby Driver. I love Baby Driver. It's such a good movie. But Kevin Spacey. Fucking Kevin Spacey's in that movie. I don't know if it's the right answer. And I have said this before. Um, and I'm sure there's people who disagree with me. I will still watch certain movies. Because I'm like there are talented crew members and actors yes. that have worked on that movie. And it's not fair to them that like I can't watch their performance because of one lousy fuck. Who happens to be in the same movie as them. I guess with Woody Allen I feel differently. Because he's well, not he's just an actor. He's the yeah. director. And, like, it's his vehicle. Like, he's the whole machine for his movies. 
And that's why, like, to me, I'm like, watching a Kevin Spacey movie, he's just the actor. He's not the writer. But Woody Allen, particularly, because he is the director and the writer and often the star, I just can't do it. And I don't understand why other people are okay with being in his movies. And there are people who have apologized for being in his movies. Like, there are people who are like, I'm sorry. Like, Kate Winslet. There was a lot of women. Oh, like, didn't, people. um, Chamalet? Uh, Timothy, Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet, yeah. yeah he, a lot of people have started donating their salaries yeah. from Woody Allen movies to, like, organizations. Him and somebody else. And Kate Winslet. I don't know if she actually did a movie with him, but she yeah, was, she like, did. apologizing. She was like, I believe. Natalie Portman, same thing. She's like, I believe Dylan Farrow. Um, and just because he's good at hiding it doesn't mean that he's not doing it. That's yeah. why, like, I'm sure he was, I'm sure he was very professional on set because he didn't want anyone in the movie business to know. He saved it for at home and which always makes me worry about, he has two kids with Suni Previn. Yeah. And I just feel bad for her because it's, the thing is like he chose the child that was the most isolated, who had the least amount of experience with men and he took advantage of her and she was groomed by him. Yeah. And... But he was also grooming his seven-year-old at the same time, which bothers me. I'm like, how can you still be married to that man? I feel bad for her. I don't know. Anyways, so, but I will say, I really like the documentary. They did a really good job of trying to show both sides of the story. It is definitely pointing you towards uh, Woody Allen is an alleged child molester. But, ooh, hey, Pogo. Yep. <laughs> um, but um, they do at least, the weird thing is they keep um, playing little snippets from his, like, book on tape autobiography. So you hear his voice talking about these incidents. And one of them is, like, when he meets Mia Farrow. And then one of them is when he and Sunny first get together. And he's like, we were making out. And she's like, I was wondering when you're going to put a move on me. He's like, put a move on me. I was like, oh, 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 what a vomit. It's your dad. And I'm sorry. It's her dad. I know it's her quote unquote stepdad, but it's your dad. And just because it's not like biological incest does not mean that it's not incest and I just find it just deplorable and I feel bad for her because she is a victim and she may not realize it until he's dead and she may come out and be like hey yeah that was fucked up or maybe she just doesn't fucking care Um, as long as she's not complicit in his alleged abuses I mean I'm gonna feel bad for her but I feel bad too because their whole family got ripped apart by this one creep yeah and I feel bad for Mia Farrow. She seems like a genuinely sweet lady and honestly a very good actress. Like, And again, Roman Polanski directed Rosemary's Baby, so I hate saying Rosemary's Baby is such a good movie. Um, but I didn't know about the Roman Polanski stuff when I watched it. And yeah. now that I do, I haven't watched it since. But also, it's terrifying. Yeah. It's a terrifying movie. Speaking it of is. terrifying birth movies, I guess we should move on to our movie. Yes, we 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 I know it's a lot to unpack in that conversation. Um but yeah, we uh, I think that is a great segue into uh talking about again this week movie, The Brood, mm. uh which is on HBO Max, AK or also HBO Max and also the Criterion Collection. Um so yeah, I didn't know if you want to take the reins with this a little bit, Katie. This was your movie for this week. Sure. 
It was. And this is a movie I have wanted to see for a very long time, ever since I saw it on Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments. I do think some of our favorite films have been on that list because Audition was, Don't Look Now was, and this movie was. Probably a couple other ones were as well. Um, but uh, this one, um, I don't know. I watched so many movies about birth <laughs> this week and children. Um, if you don't know who David Cronenberg is, who is the director and writer of The Brood, he is a very famous, um, I, I mean, I think he's famous. His name is pretty yeah. synonymous with body horror. Um, you probably know Scanners and The Fly. The most Scanners is very infamous for having a head explosion scene that is supposedly the best on camera ever. Maybe we'll do it one day. And The Fly stars Jeff Goldblum as a man becoming a fly. Um, but he's also done some kind of weird movies. He directed M. Butterfly, which I had to cut out our discussion of M. Butterfly. But that's an interesting play. And David Cronenberg directed the movie adaptation of it. Did you have something to say? You look like you were going to say something. Yeah, um, I didn't, you probably know this, but I didn't realize this. Um, so he also directed History of Violence, which is, yeah. unlike any of his other movies, um, it's not a body horror film. Um, it has Viggo Morgensen in it, and it is a phenomenal movie. Like, that is one of my father's favorite movies. Um, are you familiar with that movie at all? I am, but I haven't watched all of it. But I know what it, what, vaguely what it is. I remember when it came out. I think I was a little too young to watch it when it came out. Yeah, and and as you guys know, my my parents had no censorship in the house, so um, I watched this when it came out. But it is a phenomenal movie, and um, I would have never guessed unless unless I read that with my own eyes that he was the director of a history of violence. I had no idea. Um, mm-hmm. But a great movie, but definitely not a body horror film like the other movies that uh, we yeah. mentioned, like The Brood and The Fly. Yeah, M. Butterfly is. Yeah, M. Butterfly is not either. Mm-hmm. And then he, this is kind of a body horror, but I've yet to watch all of it. He did an adaptation. He originally wanted to be a novelist. And one of his favorite novelists is um, the writer, I forgot to write it down, is the writer of Naked Lunch. Um, and oh, oh, oh. Did a movie adapt. Well, Burroughs, maybe? Might be Burroughs. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Might be the William Burroughs. Kurt, is it Kurt Vonnegut? No, it's not Kurt Vonnegut because it was okay, somebody. Okay, that's, Yeah. Yeah, but Naked Lunch kind of turns into body horror, but it's based on a novel. Um, and uh. um, he also did Crash, which apparently is not the like nine. It's not the early two thousands one. Um, it actually is about um, people who get into get car crashes, on. and they get off on car crashes. <laughs> yes, yes. And then he also did, but early on he did Shivers and Rabid with like um, I think it was like Cineflix was the mm-hmm. Canadian company. And um, Cineflix um, basically was mostly doing, like, softcore porn <laughs> at this point. But, like, funny softcore porn. And he was like, hey, I want to do these two body horror movies. And he did them. And um, then he did Shivers. And Shivers was, like, the first film funded by the Canadian film... I guess it was the Film Fund. So... Like, it was funded by the National Canadian Film Fund um, to not only pay back the initial investment, but make money off of it. So he became, like, this superstar in Canada. Um, And The Brood is actually um, autobiographical a bit, even though it's more 
allegorical because obviously what happens didn't actually happen. But um, David Cronenberg was married to a woman named Margaret Henson. And they had two children together and they went through a really, really ugly custody battle. And at some point, and I've, I haven't gotten to read, he has, there's a biography he wrote called Cronenberg on Cronenberg. And it's, it, I think it more details this. But I watched several interviews that are on the Criterion Collection and, like, documentaries on this movie. And everyone mentions the fact that uh, apparently Margaret Henson took at least one of their children to, like, a commune. She kind of joined a psycho, like, a psychotherapy cult. And she took one of their children with her and he had to, like, fly across country and get his child back. So this movie is kind of an allegory to that. Um... Do you want to... I have a synopsis, so do you want to go through, like, characters before we get to the synopsis? Yeah, um, I can I can do that. Um, so first off, we have Samantha Egger, who plays Nola, Car- uh, Nola Carvet. Um, so she um, she started her career in Shakespearean theater, uh, but then she rose to fame for her performance in William Wyler's Thriller, The Collector. Um, has a great career. Uh, was in the 67 Dr. Doolittle movie, The Uncanny. Uh, she voiced it, uh, Hera and Walt Disney's Hercules. So all yes, things that I thought were cool. and the TV cool. show. Yeah, so she has, like, um, and she does have a beautiful voice. Like, even when she was speaking in this movie, I was like, God, that lady mm-hmm. has, she kind of has, like, a, she's kind of like a crazy beautiful, and I, I don't mean that offensively, but she has this very wide eye kind of look to her, but her mm-hmm. voice is just Wild. gorgeous. Yeah. Um, our friend Art Hindle, which is the second Art Hindle yes. movie we've done. He was our friend in the Phenomenal Coat and the uh, Black Christmas, the original 70s Black Christmas. I'm um, like, yes. it's our coat friend. Um, our co- but he plays, hockey player coat friend. Our hockey player coat friend, yes, uh, yes, who is a model. So he looks like a model. He's absolutely gorgeous. Yes. Uh, this whole movie, I was like, he's yeah. so pretty. Uh, he plays Frank Carvet in this movie, who's the main character. But he was also in Invasions of the Body Snatchers, uh, Porky's mm-hmm. 1 and 2. Um, and since the early 90s, he's actually worked as a director. Um, most notably, he's directed uh, Paradise Falls, which is like a soap opera. Um, we have Do- Oliver Reed as Dr. Hal Raglan. Uh, oh he was God. in... He was in Oliver, The Devils, uh, The Three Musketeers, uh, Tommy, Funny Bones, and Gladiator. So uh, another, yes. yeah, another actor who had a very wonderful, lucrative yes. career. He, he scared the shit out of me the first time I watched Oliver as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, Oliver's a really dark musical, by the way. And so I was like, I was trying to remember like where I'd seen Oliver Reed. I mean, I can't remember Gladiator enough. I've seen Gladiator a few times, but it's been a long, 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 long time. So, but he was Proximo, which I'm blanking on who, I meant to look it up. But I think that was his last movie he did. Yeah, I think so too. He also had a famous drinking problem. He, he, he never did theater. He always did like film. And I ended up stumbling across this um, late night television um, interview with him and um, uh, Orson Welles and they're oh, wow. both like jabbing at each other and the, the third person being interviewed is Charo and she's just kind of politely oh. just like I've never heard her so quiet she's just like uh huh yeah because Charo's the lady who's like like she's the she's like wild and she's like a dancer and stuff yeah. and she's always on like that 70s shows guest starring she's great but she's so quiet because they're just both, like, drunkenly ribbing at each other. 
And I just, apparently Oliver Reed was kind of famous for shenanigans on set, but Samantha Eggers and him grew up together, and she was like, yeah, he behaved himself when we did scenes together. He knew not to pull that shit with me, but he did get arrested while filming this movie. Did you know about this? Oh, my God. Yeah, I okay. heard about that. I saw that trivia. So, apparently, he was he made a bet with someone that he could walk from one bar to another, as is after they were done filming for the day, without wearing clothes in the freezing cold Canadian weather. And he got arrested, and they had to bail him out of jail. <laughs> and you're just <laughs> like, what the fuck? It's what the fuck. But it's also, like, really sad, because I'm like, but he lived a long time, so I guess either he got his drinking under control eventually... Or he just was too tough to die. I don't know. But anyways, sorry. I went on an Oliver Reed tangent. He's just a no, fascinating human being. It's it's perfect. Um, I did think it was worth mentioning, and you probably saw this too. So Robert A. Silverman, who plays uh, Jan Hartog. Um, mm-hmm. So he's actually been cast by, and I. it's funny, I, I call him DC, and I think of Dr. C., um, but he's been cast by DC five times. Uh, so he was in Rabbit, The Brew, Scanders, Naked Lunch, and Assistance. So I was like, okay, and, so he, yeah. Yeah, and Gary McKeon, who played Mike Trellin, mm-hmm. was also in a couple of his, he was in Rabbit, but I think he was in one other David Cronenberg movie too. So the rest of the cast, I will be honest, they didn't have as much. I wrote down, I wanted to acknowledge who the actors were and who they played. Um, but they didn't really mm-hmm. have, like, wikis um, like some of the other actors did. So if I'm missing anything, Katie, please uh, chime in. Um, so we Thank have Nuala Fitzgerald, who's Juliana Kelly. That's uh, Nola's mother. Harry Beckman mm-hmm. as Barton Kelly. That's Nola's dad. Um, Susan Hogan mm-hmm. as Ruth Mayer, who is Candace's teacher. And then, of course, uh, Sydney Hines as Candace, a.k.a. Candy uh, Carveret mm-hmm. herself. Um, the other right. cool thing about this movie... I don't know if you saw this. Probably, because you love music. Um, this was Howard Shore's first um, movie composing job. Oh, and awesome. No, I didn't ha- see that. Howard Shore is a... Vi- He's one of those, like, really famous movie composers who's composed, mu- like, music for everything. But, like, it's... Like, I don't know. I feel like he doesn't get enough recognition. Because, like, I literally didn't even know... Like, I always forget his name. But he's not only composed all the music for all the Lord of the Rings movies, including the Hobbit movies, um, he composed the music for The Departed, uh, Pieces of a Woman that I watched this weekend. Which wow. the music, part of that movie has no music at all, and part of it has amazing music. So it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition of, like, silence. Like, I'm pretty sure there's no music except for, like, diegetic music, like, when she turns on music during the birth scene. Like, there's not music swelling so it's all in the acting, which is really cool. But then after the main credits, after the first 30-minute scene, it starts playing music, which is really cool. So another cool little aspect of that movie. But I thought that was a cool little tidbit of information, too. Um, so I guess with that, we'll move on to synopsis before we get into spoilers, which we'll probably have to cut some of this down of our Woody Allen talk. I went too far. Frank and Nola Carveth are embroiled in a difficult custody battle for their beloved young daughter, Candy, or Candace. They keep calling her Candy, which I think is a weird name for a child, but okay. Yeah. Um, While Frank tries to raise Candy to the best of his ability, Nola is sequestered with her psychotherapist, Dr. Ragland, as she undergoes a disturbing treatment to release her inner rage. 
But outside the walls of her sanctuary, is her rage spilling out into the world and terrorizing her own family? Oh, I should have said, is terror brood brewing? Is terror brooding? Brooding terror. I guess we're just going to kind of get into spoilers at this point, because I don't know if there's a lot we can talk about. Um... Do, do you recognize do you recommend this movie Britt? oh yeah i loved it like i thought it okay. was it was one of those movies i was like oh i don't really know and then i watched it i was like this is pretty damn good i actually really like this movie i will say i had a very different idea about this movie from watching 100 scariest movie moments at a very young age and parts of the movie i found the creature effects absolutely amazing and other parts I thought were downright silly, but I kind of love it. And the yeah. second time I watched it, especially, I kind of, there's a lot of like little layers in there. Um, and I think it's a good little, like, it's like a mystery too. Um, there's, there's very little I didn't like, but I will say parts of it is a little silly. Mostly because you can tell some of the creature effects are definitely people in costumes. Um, and the costumes aren't that great. Yeah. But then there's other parts where it's amazing. So, I don't know. Like, I would say the ending bits were way more convincing than the beginning bits. Yeah. Um, so, I guess we're really going to go into spoilers now. Three, two, one. Spoilers. Spoilers! Um, so, this movie starts out. Um, I thought we were watching a play when it started out. Did you? Yeah. I was like, we're in a theater. Because <laughs> it's like, there's this very intense scene where there's this character of Mike, who is a um, patient of Dr. Raglan's, sitting, like, in, they're, like, in, like, scrubs, but they almost look like karate outfits. Like, they're kind of scrubs, but they kind of look like karate outfits. They're sitting cross-legged, facing each other, and Mike keeps calling Dr. Raglan, Daddy. He's like, Daddy, I've been bad, Daddy. And it's just like, okay, I'm uncomfortable already, but all right. Okay, we're here for the ride. There's no, like... There's, there's opening credits, but they're not over anything. Yeah. This is immediately what you start out with. And there's, like, no music. It's just a weird scene where it's, like, they're going through, a like, a role-playing exercise where um, Dr. Raglan is, like, I'm just going to call. I should have named you Michelle and not Michael because you're such a little girl. And he's just, like, terrible to this guy. And then uh, towards the end of the therapy session, you see that he, like, is, like, breaking out in hives. And it's, like, it's, like, his anger at his father is like physically manifesting and um you see our main character kind of sit on this and he's like not buying it but all these people watching this are like oh my god he's a genius yeah and he goes and picks up his little daughter's uh candy and um apparently her mom is in treatment there but she's not allowed to see her ex-husband um which they're a little vague, but at some point I don't think they're divorced yet. And the only reason they're definitely I, separated. Yeah, they're separated. And I don't think they're divorced yet, but it's definitely like it's separation and things are not looking good. Well, the th- the weird thing is like in a lot of the like documentary, like the cast mm-hmm. calls them ex wife and ex husband. Yeah, but in the movie they don't explicitly say. I think they're in the middle of a divorce. Yeah. So like we'll call them estranged. Yeah, definitely we'll say that. Um. But she's in treatment. She's allowed to see her daughter, but she's not allowed to see him because it's going to ruin her treatment. Um, and he takes 
Candy home and he notices when he's giving her a bath that night and that's normal and he notices that she's got like scratches and a bite mark on her back and he's like oh my god so he he takes photos of it and he's like what the fuck happened last weekend and he thinks his wife has been abusing her so he is goes to his lawyer and they're talking about it and he's trying to figure out to do legal action against Dr. Raglan because she's supposed to be supervised with her. I thought this uh, scene was very important, like, in terms of the theme of the movie. Because his lawyer basically uh-huh. is like, hey, even if she's abusing her, you don't have much of a case because the courts always favor her in terms of the mother. And I thought that yes. was really interesting. And in terms yes. of the wider story and what mothers mean and what being a mother means, especially for Noah and her mother... I thought that was a very mm-hmm. interesting... I thought that was something very oddly specific to put in the script. It is. And I know it's very autobiographical for David Cronenberg. But I have heard some people have felt like this movie's misogynistic against women. I don't really see that. I see it as two spouses. And yeah. one of them is deeply mentally disturbed. And um, the person who's supposed to be helping them is making it worse. And... I don't really blame Nola so much as I don't think she's I don't think she's portrayed as an evil person. I think no. she's portrayed as a person who's being taken advantage of who is very ill mentally. That's actually what I like help. about this movie is that like you don't really even like her parents who have made mistakes. You don't really feel like anyone in this movie is a monster. It feels like everyone no. has great areas in their characters that they're there's things that are good about characters and there's these things that are bad about these characters. But I think that what made it so enjoyable of a watch too. Yes. And I, I like, I like all those different layers and aspects mm-hmm. of it. Um, and we won't go too far into the plot because mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting, but basically Cindy, I can't want to call her Cindy, but it's Candy. Cause Candy's just a weird name for a little girl. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but little Candace um, is at her grandmother's house while he goes to um, work and she's her mom's kind of like obviously she has a bit of a drinking problem her grandma and she's Nola's mother but she's like she's like one of those like alcoholics that she's not gonna drive and she's not gonna get so drunk that she's gonna be irresponsible with the child it's just like she's always drinking you're like okay well maybe people can she's like functioning yeah so she and she talks about how nolan never lets her see her grandchild and thank you frank for letting me see my grandchild he's like well of course yeah it's fine and so he leaves candace with her they're looking at pictures and i think it's interesting the second go around is there is a picture of her mom at the hospital and you learn that her mom as a little girl would get these boils on her skin and whenever she was like upset and they could never figure out what was causing it so from a very young age she's had this almost like physical manifestation of her feelings and people that happens yeah I mean, that's a thing like but like we have physical manifestations i know people who get hives when they get nervous i know people who like get stress rashes like yeah and i do happens. that yeah you that i was like is it Brittany? it's Brittany. people yeah. get stress rashes like things happen and this movie kind of takes turns it up to 11 but that is a thing that happens and it's not yeah. always explainable um and this scene is actually juxtaposition too where dr raglan is talking to mm-hmm. nola and he is just like 
his kind of brand of therapy is he's kind of being people in these people's mm-hmm. lives, kind of pretending, acting as them. So he pretends to be Candy, and he's like, "Why did you hit me, Mummy?" And she's like, "You know, I didn't do that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hurt you." And then he kind of layways into that, like you know, and it ends up coming out not directly, but kind of what Nola really heavily alludes to is that she's like, some mummies do hit their children. Some mum, she what does she say exactly? I think I wrote down her exact quote. Um, uh, my, her, my mommy was fucked up and bad. So it's like mm. heavily implied that Nola's own mother, of course, mistreated her and abused her. Yeah. But you still get this feeling that Juliana is like, and this is like, this is a different layer of things I don't really want to get into because I know it's a very long talk, but it's kind of like Juliana does feel resent, resentful towards her past. And it seems like she is mm-hmm. trying to be better with her grandchild, but yes. that doesn't mean Nola should have to forgive her either. But right. Dr. Raglan tells her to work through it. And so you're like, okay, what do you mean by working through it? But that's yeah. where <laughs> you're like, we get okay, back in the house. Cool. <laughs> so awesome. seems seems okay. Seems weird, yeah. but okay. Like and this is I've I've gone through therapy. Brittany, I think you've gone through therapy mm-hmm. before. There's nothing yeah. wrong with therapy, but you have to like trust your therapist and have a good therapist. Yeah. Um that isn't trying to experiment on you. Um mm-hmm. but basically, um, uh, there's some dishes that crash in the kitchen mm-hmm. at Juliana's house. And she tells Candace, she's like, oh, I guess I didn't stack the dishes correctly. I guess I should go get that. And um, she walks in. And this part did creep me out because you don't really see exactly what's happening. But a diminutive person or thing attacks Juliana with a meat cleaver and beats her to death in the head. And it's not, yeah. it is bloody, but it's not overly bloody, but it is pretty brutal because it is like chasing her down. And also she's had a couple glasses of whiskey, so she's probably not fighting too great. And well, um, we also Candace can see, walks it's, in. We can see it's dressed oh, like, can, we can see it's dressed like candy too. Yes. Yeah. They are dressed like candy, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and she sees it, but the person or thing doesn't, hurt her she just kind of like stares at her dead grandmother and just like apparently the police call her dad and go like hey we found your dead mother-in-law and your daughter was just fast asleep upstairs and the psychologist at the um precinct is like yeah um you know the dad's like oh why did you call a psychologist was she freaking out and she like was she hysterical and they're like no no she was like she went upstairs and went to sleep and she was like in this really deep sleep it's almost like an escapism kind of thing where, like, people will go in deep sleeps. A lot of times when people have depression issues, they will just sleep all the time because it's a way to escape. So, um, yeah. So, anyways. So, she's he wants Candy to, like, tell him. Like, he's like, hey, sweetie, do you want to tell me what happened at Grandma's? Like, he's trying very nicely to just kind of, like, work it through, like, so he can figure out what happened. Um and they do think she's been murdered. And they don't. I thought they were going to suspect the kid. They did not. Yeah. Which I don't know if well, that's good or bad police work. This is what bothers me is that like the literally the creature leaves like a fucking bloody handprint on the railing and they don't mention anything Dude. about it. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, uh, okay. You think that's oh. another reason I thought they would have thought it would have been candy because the handprints would have been her size. Yes. But I guess yeah. maybe, maybe they ran the prints and they were like, oh, no, different fingerprints. But yeah, they're like, nah, nah, it can't be a little girl murdering people. That doesn't happen. It's fun, you know. Um, it does happen, y'all. Um, anyways, so uh, the next thing that happens is I think he goes and sees Jan Hartog. 
before uh he so sees uh, the dad maybe maybe not yeah no hmm. very uh very close but yeah um raglan pretends to be nola's father um, and then, like, she basically yes. tells, yeah, and she's like, you shouldn't have walked away when she hit me. And you're like, okay, so obviously she's not very happy with her dad either. Like, you know, yes. like, mom abused her, dad let the abuse happen, and she's still carrying the things from this, so. Yes, the trauma, and she, mm-hmm. oh, excuse me, she's carrying the trauma with her, and we meet her dad, he's flown in, he's not really sure, sh- he's, and basically what happened is, like, he and his wife got divorced about 10 years ago, but she never really let go of them. She always thought there was hope. But it sounds like it wasn't, like, a nasty divorce, but it seems like it was very much stemming from her mother having abusive tendencies and mental issues that probably she didn't get help for. And finally, him just having to walk away. Um, and he also works in a different city. So, like... He seems nice, but he obviously hasn't been around that much. And he's like, oh, I bet you don't even remember your grandpa, Candace. And um, they go over to their house. And at some point, the uh, Frank goes and talks to Jan Hartog, who was a former patient of Dr. Raglan, who is suing him because he is having these gigantic tumors in his lymph nodes. And it's a very gross body effect. And they, they kind of hide it throughout the scene. And then he just opens it up. And he's like, oh, look at this. It honestly, like, it still makes my skin crawl. I don't like it. Anyways, okay, sorry. No, but, okay. like, literally this, like, the makeup job for this made my skin crawl. And it really was disturbing because it's like his lymph nodes in his jaw, is, like, they're protruding. And it just looks terrifying. Um, But basically he's like, uh, Frank's like, so you're, you're suing Dr. Raglan because he caused this? He's like, I mean, I can't prove that. But now I have cancer. And if I sue him, he'll get bad publicity. And that's all everyone will ever think of is that his phytoplasm, psychoplasms, psychoplasm. Yeah, psychoplasmatic. Yeah, psychoplasm therapy causes cancer. Uh, He's like, it's a revenge thing. So he's like, okay, so I want to sue him for actual physical damage. So, um, oh, well. But um, he's like, not a lot of help, but at least he got some background. So this isn't the first time someone's had a bad... Um, experience with Dr. Raglan. So, um, he, uh, when he goes to pick up Candy from school, Frank meets Candy's teacher, and she's been talking about, like, hey, we need to meet up for, um, you know, parent, we need to talk about Candy, um, maybe after school, and he comes late to pick Candy up, and she's like, oh, can we feed our teacher at dinner? Can she come over for dinner, Daddy? And he's like, uh, okay. And you can tell they kind of, like, like each other a little bit. But they're being very polite. Like, they're being very professional. And she comes over for dinner. And after Candy goes to bed, they're, they start talking. And she's like, listen, as soon as Candy got me alone, she, like, wanted to play mommy-daughter. And it's very obvious that she really misses her mom. And she needs mothering. But she's not getting it. And he's just like, oh, my God. I've, like, screwed up my kid before the age of six. I can't believe it. And she's like, no. Like, he's like, he's so stressed out that he's, like, not being the best father. Even though he's trying really hard. He ends up getting a call from Nola's dad. And he has gone to their old house because his keys still work. And he is trashed out of his mind. And he's threatening to drive up to Dr. Raglan's because he's already gone up there once. And he tried to tell him, like, hey, I need to talk to my daughter and let her know that her mom's passed away. And Dr. Raglan's like, oh, no, she's in an important part of her therapy and you're not allowed to come talk to her about that. Which always bothers me when, like, therapists are like, oh, it's going to disrupt her therapy. I'm like, 
you can't just lie to someone about someone dying. Yeah. Like, how, there must be a way to breach, broach that subject. So, he's like, listen, teacher, I gotta go calm this bitch down and get him to not drive drunk and kill himself on the road. It'll be 45 minutes. Will you watch Candy for me? She's like, yeah. He's like, here, watch, read this book. I'll be back in 45 minutes. But of course, the creature that has killed uh, Nola's mom is waiting for Nola's dad. And while he's like, first of all, he completely disrupts the crime scene in the kitchen, which is kind of funny, but also like, oh shit. Like, dude, come on. There's tape for a reason. And he goes upstairs to uh, Juliana's bedroom and he's just like crying. He's upset. And then this part got me. There's like a hand and it pops out from under the bed. And um, she's got these like two little glass paperweights sitting on her bedside table. And the creature takes the paperweights and just beats him to death with them. And it's it's pretty brutal. But this was the part where like the creature, you can see more of him. And it's very obviously an adult of you know, of diminutive stature. Um, and they have something over the actor's face, which makes it not look like a face, which is the only thing that really bothered me about it was it was a little bit, like, silly looking. Like, it looked like a mask. And at first I was like, are they wearing, like, flesh masks? I would have preferred it, honestly, if they all looked like candy. Yeah. Personally, I thought it would have been creepier. But I think maybe they were concerned they couldn't get a bunch of, like, like probably they were like oh well it's supposed to be a creature it's not supposed to be like an actual human being too so i guess they didn't want an actor to be, be portraying the face because they didn't want it to look like a human yeah. they wanted it to look like not quite human which we'll explain later but basically this little broodling kills the dad and so then frank comes over and now he's got another body but he finds the creature and it kind of like attacks him runs away and just dies and it seems yeah. like like of seemingly nothing. It just kind of collapses, and he's like, "Oh, okay." And so he um, he he calls the police, and they 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 do kind of an autopsy. And meanwhile, he tries to call the teacher, but she stopped answering the phone because Nola calls the house, and she's not supposed to call the house. And she does. And when the lady says her full name, she's like, "Oh, this is Ruth Mayer," uh, and she's like. From the school? And she's like, yeah. She's like, you bitch, are you fucking my husband? And she's like, no, I'm not. And then she just kind of hangs up. So she's like not answering my phone anymore. And um, they go to the autopsy and the doctor's like, okay, so it looks like a human being. It is not a human being because it is completely asexual and it doesn't have lungs. It has like a gas tank. It's just, it doesn't have teeth. It has like a beak-like thing. And it's just, it's like, it's like humanoid, but it's not a full human. It doesn't have a navel. So it's never been actually born, traditionally. And everyone's like, that's fucking weird. So I'm like, okay, that's weird. Um, Also, was it just me or did it bother you a little bit when they were like, oh, it's probably, they kept saying, like, the children, the brood, because no one knows exactly what they are until the end of the movie, that they were just, like, deformed children. And I was just kind of like, oh, that's kind of insensitive. Yeah, deform or disturb. They they said deform and disturb a few times to disturb children. I was like, that's kind of, I don't know. It just seemed mm-hmm. insensitive. But I was like, it was a different time. So I guess we'll give it a, it was a different time pass, but I'm not excusing it. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about what happens next? 
Yeah. Um, Ooh, I so, I've been talking a lot. So, um, Raglan then pretends to be Roof. So, it's like, Raglan, I, I think of him as a pot stirrer, personally, because he's always pretending to be mm-hmm. these people that are pissing off uh, Nola. But he pretends to be Roof, and Nola screams for her to leave. So, she's screaming at Raglan, but, of course, Raglan's pretending to be Roof. So, Frank uh, arrives home. And Ruth leaves in a hurry because she's like, hey, I, I'm so sorry. Your, your shit's too complicated for me to deal with right now. And she sleeves. <laughs> which, who could blame her? Like, who could blame her? I don't blame her. I was like, yeah. that's smart, girl. Like, Get out of there me, while you still And can. you told me you were going to be gone for 45 minutes. Your wife calls and cusses me out. And then you're, you're gone the whole night. I would probably get the fuck out of Dodge, too, when you got home. Um, mm-hmm. So, um... But Frank goes upstairs, and he finds Candy cowering in the corner of her room, and, you know, uh, she's like, I've had a bad dream, and she's like, I can't tell you what it's about. He's like, we found the thing, it's dead, Candy, it's dead. And so you see, like, this poor little thing who's gone through so much fucking trauma, and she seems truly relieved, like, that maybe this thing that's giving her nightmares is gone. So the next day, mm-hmm. um, Raglan reads about Burton's murder, um, and he instructs his assistant, Chris, to dismiss all the patients. So he's just like, kick everyone out. And so all the patients are forced to leave. Um, and so Frank ends up talking to Mike, who, of course, is our, our daddy, our daddy patient from the beginning of the film. And Mike tells Frank that Nola is now the only patient. He calls her the Queen Bee. And so, as you can imagine, Frank's like, what the fuck is going on here? Uh, and he takes Candy to school because, yeah, let's, let's make sure Candy is going to school when all this shit is falling apart. Um, this was actually, to me, probably the most traumatic part of the movie are one of the top traumatic parts so two of the the broodlings um they go to roof's class and in front of her class of children small children they beat her to death so and then there's there's the one kid who i think is like this like not saying the other kids aren't smart the other kids are too traumatized to do anything but this up this thing that bothered me is none of these kids even tried to stop it yeah yeah i think trauma um does weird things to children but there there is one child and thank god frank happens to be standing outside the school building and this one child runs outside and he's like the mean the mean kids knocked down um miss mare they knocked her down and by the time frank gets into um the school school the classroom she's dead like dead dead Mm -hmm. and candy's missing of course yes and they all kind of look like candy and they're all dressed in the same little outfits as candy which i mean did Dr. Raglan, like, see what Candy was wearing, and he just, like, bought them all matching outfits? Like, Amazon didn't, like, exist back then, so how did he get all the matching outfits so quickly? I don't understand it, guys. Um, but, basically, they take Candy, and the dad's, like, freaking out, and at first he tries to go with the police, and he goes to this old, this was kind of sad, he goes to this, um, I, it, honestly, it's kind of an unnecessary scene i feel like they could have cut this scene he goes to this old apartment that apparently his wife and his daughter were living in before she went to i guess after they separated but before she went to dr raglan's um place which is called soma free by the way it's just like like this really kind of sad like attic bedroom apartment and he kind of was like oh this is where my wife and kid lived but i kind of think it was unnecessary because i'm like i mean that's sad and all but like come on we need to look for the plot. But finally, he he decides to go to... Oh, he he talks to Jan Hartog and Mike because uh, Dr. Raglan has kicked out everyone but Nola. Yeah. At the center. And Mike is, like, not taking it well. Mike shows up at his house. 
and he's like, oh, yeah, your wife's special because he takes care. She takes care of the children. And Frank's like, what do you mean the children? He's like, the little children that she takes care of. He's like, oh, my God. And so and he's seen one of the creatures. So he's like, oh, OK. Yeah. So he I love this because he drives to Dr. Raglan's and he like misses a turn and he like turns back around and stuff. But they like kept it. It's great. Um, and he goes, he goes to Soma Free and is going to confront. Do you, do you want to go into this or? Yeah, so I, I can go Shall into I? it. Yes. Uh, so he confronts, um, Raglan and, um, I will say this. Um, I know why they did it. I know they did it for the sake of the drama in the movie, but I was just like, no, no, no. Frank should have got candy. Raglan should have kept Nola calm. Uh, right. Then we wouldn't have this shit happening. Um, but right. basically, Frank confronts Raglan, and Raglan explains what the brood are, which is um, they are children actually born out of Noah, Nola's rage. So um, that's yes. literally what they are. They're manifestations of her rage. She does give birth to them in every sense of the way, uh, pretty much. And then she doesn't know that they, she, what she thinks subconsciously, they actually carry out. So when she has ill feelings towards, like, her mother, they killed her mother, the father, um, the teacher, so that's that's what they are, mm-hmm. and so Raglan is like, um, I need you. <laughs> okay, he's like, I need you to go and talk to Nola. Keep her, <laughs> keep her calm. Pretend you love her. her. Pretend you want her you back. Seen her in six months. But... Yeah, it's like you know, just just tell her you want to work things out, and I'll I'll go and uh, get candy. So which leads with us my gun with with my gun he makes it a point to be like Frank, I have a gun. It's like. <laughs> okay <laughs> but he's not really threatening him with it and this is i think this is my favorite scene because this is the good body horror scene and also a really good acting scene yeah i think because not so much Do- dr Ryland. because <laughs> okay so for this scene by the way when they have the actual brood they could not find enough adult actors who were small enough to play the brood so they went to a girls gymnastics club and recruited a bunch of little girls and dressed them up in these costumes. And everyone everyone in this scene is like a tiny little gymnastics child. And there's just something so disturbing but also awesome about that. So we, we have um, little gymnastic children. We have gymnastic children. And Dr. Raglan is, is trying to find um, candy. And Frank goes in and confronts nola and he's like hey nola it's me i know i didn't understand before but teach me how to understand and she's like oh you want to understand you don't want to get back together like, no teach me i didn't understand before he's trying really hard to like convince her that he wants her back but she's like kind of seeing through his bullshit um which i kind of appreciate and then she's just like no no you want to see let me show you and after, as they're discussing she's getting a little more heated and at first, Dr. Raglan gets Candy out of the bed while the creatures are calm. They're not moving or anything. And he gets her to, like, the door and before Nola starts losing her temper. And she's like, oh, you want to see? And she's been wearing this, like, Princess Leia white turtleneck, like, muumuu the whole time. Although Samantha Eggers is very beautiful and pulls it off spectacularly. Like, she looks great. Um, but it, it, like, it opens up and she opens it up. And there are all of these things, these sacks of embryos 
hanging off of her body. So she's not, like, giving birth to them, like, birthing them like a normal baby. They're, like, growing on the outside of her body. And one of them is ready, ripe for plucking. And she opens up this sack, which, by the way, they were all condoms attached to her. She was laughing so hard while they were filming this because they were just joking around that they had to keep telling her to stop laughing because they kept detaching because they were just glued on condoms. Um, and one of them is ready for birthing. And this is actually something Samantha Eggers came up with. As she opens the sack and births the creature, the broodling, um, she <laughs> she just starts to lick the blood off the newborn like a dog yeah. or a cat would do. Which, I mean, I guess it's your own blood. Yeah. But I don't want to eat my own blood. Like, I've never had that desire. And you probably read this, too. So that scene was actually completely censored in, like, the UK release, too. Yeah. Like, it's 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 probably the creepiest part. And the yeah. best creature effects is when she opens that dress and you're just like, oh, my God. Yeah, you're like, and, ugh. And she just like goes to town on that licking that baby clean you're just like okay um but that is something that happens in nature and um she's just like going to town and she looks at frank's face she's like oh no i disgust you don't i and that's when she starts losing her temper and um dr raglan has to start fighting off the broodlings and he just starts shooting all these little broodlings and it's just awful it's just like i feel it's kind of funny because, like, like, he has, like, a forty-five or something. He does. I don't know. I didn't pay attention to what kind of pistol he had. But he has, like, a pistol. And it must be packing a punch. Because it is, like, blowing these these little people out of the way. Um, and for some reason, Candy doesn't run out the door like he tells her to. She just kind of watches the whole thing happen. And um, Frank's trying to calm her down. And Nola's, like, eventually, like, I would kill... Candace before I let you take her and then all the broodlings are done killing Dr. Raglan and they turn on Candace and she goes into a room locks herself in but they're trying to break through the door and finally Nola begs Frank pretty much to kill her and he strangles her to death because the only way to save his daughter is to kill his wife yeah and sadly she's beyond help which I'm not saying Please don't kill your mentally ill wives or husbands. It's not okay, guys. But in this in this circumstance, he can't think of anything else, and he kind of gives into his own rage and kills his wife. But he is able to save Candace because all of the um, broodlings die with her. And um, as they're driving off, you see that Candace is getting little boils on her arms, just like her mom did when she was a little kid. And I almost got a hereditary vibe. Yeah. I was like, oh my god. It's hereditary. It's inescapable. Mental illness is, like, inescapable. Oh my god. Like, it is almost, like, hereditary, only except for grief. It's, like, they actually are delving into psychotherapy and mental illness and stuff, which I think is interesting. Like, there's so many layers to this movie, but it's also... <coughs> Sorry, I'm choking on my sun chips. Um, it's also, like, like, almost like a mind-opening to, like, psych- the, the dangers of psychotherapy and trusting people who are maybe well too I've, charming for their own good. I also thought it was, like, a, um, almost like a meditation on trauma, too, because you see 
mm-hmm. where these mistakes were made in uh, Nola's upbringing. And her parents are regretful of those mistakes. But the trauma still happens and Nola can't escape from the trauma. She can't just heal from it. And even though Frank does his best as a father to make sure Candy doesn't go for that same trauma, she still does. And you have like this generational yes. generational trauma, which is really, really sad mm-hmm. because, you know, it's very hard to break away from trauma. Like, you can mm-hmm. say you're going to be different than your parents. And her father even says something to that matter. He's like, it breaks my heart to watch you and this beautiful little girl go for the same tragedies we went through. And Frank goes, yeah, right. it is. And so, I, I don't know. I thought there was, like, all these interesting... I feel like this would be a great film for film criticism because there's a lot of what it's mm-hmm. saying to be a parent, but also about trauma and also about psychology. There's all these very interesting ideas yes. in this movie. Which I did not expect from this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I really, like, from what everyone always says, they're like, oh, the creatures. Which, honestly, the creatures were probably the least impressive part of this movie. Yeah. It was really the story, the ideas behind it, and honestly, Samantha Egger's scene with the embryos and licking the baby, that was pretty fucking disturbing. It's just an interesting movie. I like I like your take on the trauma and generational trauma. I think that's so true. But I was getting, like, I was like, I wonder if Ari Aster saw this and was like, ooh, I want to, like, work on that, but do something just a little bit different. Um, I think it is interesting that they do sow the seeds of, like, Nola... One of the reasons why Nola was able to birth the rage brood, I don't know how you call it, the rage children, um, was because she did have those kinds of boils when she was young. So it was something that maybe was always there, the possibility of it, but it took Dr. Raglan's abuse to make it happen. Because really, she, she, she's not really getting helped by Dr. Raglan. Yeah. He's using her. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's not really misogynistic when literally it's a man who abuses a woman. And then literally we mm-hmm. uh, we see that woman become violent because of that abuse. Like, I don't really feel like... I don't think that this was trying to be misogynistic. I don't feel like Cronenberg set yeah. out and tried to create this idea of like, oh, she's evil. I did not feel that personally watching this movie. It's definitely not because she's a woman either. Yeah. But I think it is innate that because he did struggle with being a single father trying to get custody of his children from a mother, from a legal system, whether it's in Canada or the U.S., the legal system does trust mothers more than fathers. And a lot of times, they're fine. That's fine. But there are mothers who are not as good parents as fathers in certain situations. And I know dads who are the better parent who have lost custody simply because society does not like to separate mother mothers from children and it's it's hard and it is one of those like it it should be a situational thing it should be in this situation parent a is the more stable parent the children should stay with them and parent b should have visitation rights but that doesn't happen it's very rare when you hear of a dad that one custody battles the really most single dads that i know are single dads because their wives left and abandoned everything it wasn't like a dissolution of a marriage and they're working through it and they're trying to share custody exactly Um, and in this case nola is so far gone that she is a danger to her child because whether it's her the brood 
she is subconsciously abusing her child yeah. through the brood. Um, and it, I think it, it's they're not trying to blame her, but rather mental illness um, furthered by the abuse of Dr. Raglan. And Dr. Raglan's not evil. He does kind of redeem himself by trying to save Candy in the, at the end, but... He definitely is using these people for his own gain. Yeah. In popularity and in renown instead of actually helping them. And it's more of like he's so impressed with what he can do. Not to quote Dr. Ian Malcolm, but you were so concerned with what you could do that you didn't ask if you should do it. And that's, you know, kind of a little bit of that. A little bit of Jurassic Park thrown in there. Um, yeah, I think it was, I, I think it's a good movie. Do you have a rating for it? Yeah, um, are we talking about a Grindhouse Girl rating or a... Oh, um, wait, I'm sorry. I should have asked first. Was there anything you didn't like? I'm sorry. Um, not anything that just, like, stood out like a sore sore thumb. I would say you're right. Probably the creature effects are a product of their time. This movie was filmed in the 70s, late 70s, and released in 79. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, you have some really cool creature effects like what we talked about with Nola and um, showing the babies attached to her or like um, Heart Tog and his lymphoma. But the actual creatures themselves aren't like super, super impressive. But I didn't think, I thought in terms of the actual movie, like story and um, dialogue, I, I liked it. I thought it was a good movie. There was nothing in particular that I was just like, well, oh, well, there's some plot holes. Like, of course, like the blood... Um, the handprint on the banister are like why Raglan mm-hmm. decided to send Frank in there to talk to Norlilla. I thought those were some kind of plot points that I didn't really understand or agree with, but I didn't just dislike the movie either because of those plot points. Yeah. I, there wasn't anything that really took me out of the movie. The only thing that was kind of weird that I feel like they probably should have addressed was I get why Dr. Raglan has a British accent. Um, in the the logic of the movie, he maybe I mean Canada. It's taking place in Canada. Canada's a British, whatever. What do you call it? A British. That's a good subject? question. Oh my god, British subject. I don't. Know, the, the Canadians are the subjects to the Brits. Um, I get that he could probably be British, and it would make sense for Samantha Egger to have her British accent, except that neither of her parents have a British accent. And that was throwing me off. But yeah, other than the other stuff that I said, yeah, everything else. And the insensitivity thing, but it's an old movie, so I'm going to chalk it up to that. Um, But yes, did you have a rating? A number in Grindhouse? Yeah, so I I will say the movie itself to me was like a 7. But the themes, I feel like the themes and analysis maybe earned it a little bit more towards an 8 for me. Um, So yeah, I I think I may give this one an 8. Eight overall, yeah. So I did too. I gave it an eight out of ten. Like, yeah, it's good. I, I like do it. like it. It's yeah, interesting. Definitely, I I definitely was more impressed with it than I thought it would be. So good choice, Katie. Um, Thanks. But, I'm glad it, it it delivered. Yeah, I really liked it. Now I do have a. I would say this movie is more. It could be strange or scary. I'm gonna go with maybe a little bit more scary than strange. I think I would call it strange because. well i don't know it is it is a very i'm gonna call it a strange with a little scary because it it didn't scare me so much as just weird me out in a in a scary way if that makes sense it does yeah 
Um, my rating, I actually rated it, uh, our grindhouse rating, I gave it a B for blood and babies. Oh, I gave it a B, too, for boils, <laughs> babies, and brutal broods. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> okay. I like that we both had rated B. Yep. Though. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so, do you do you know what movie you want to come? Oh, I sure do, do Katie. Yeah. Oh, we know. Yeah. Yeah, we, we know. Yay. We know. And I think you're going to be excited. So, friends, uh, we do not do this to you very often. Um, we at Grindhouse Girl Podcast do our best to stream movies for you that are available on Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime. But we also um, are reviewers. We're podcasters. And we do have to keep up with things sometimes. So, we do have a rental coming at you this week. I do apologize Yay. in advance. But the good news is it is a nominee for Best Picture. Is one I wanted to see, yes. one that Katie wants to see, I think, even more than I've wanted to see. It's nominated for five Academy Awards, and we are talking about Promising Young Women. So, woo! And right now, you can rent or buy it on Amazon Prime. Yes. In 4K Ultra HD. What? What? Oh, I'm so glad you can rent it. I was waiting for it to not be, um, like, a full rental, because, like... The $20, I get it. But it's just me. If I had a whole family, I'd be like, yeah, cool. I'm excited. Me too. It sounds like fun. I mean, maybe not fun. I don't know. It might be brutal. But it looks like an interesting film. And um, the only thing I'm worried about, I hope it doesn't... I don't think it would because it's been nominated. Conservatively nominated. Like, it's nominated for a few things, but not everything. Yeah. So I feel like... It's probably not pandering, but I was, I'm was i a little afraid we're going to have a Black Christmas 2019 situation, and I hope it handles the subject matter more maturely. Yeah, I know what you're referring to, because I do know enough. You could tell by the trailers what's going on in the movie mm-hmm. and what she's setting out to do. So we shall see. Yes. We shall see. Well, I guess we should say goodnight then. Yeah. Now and that our assignments are there. Yes, and I am so excited. Sorry, I was taking another picture of my cat perching above my head again. Um, yay. yay! So, um, guys, as always, we uh, so appreciate you. I, I tend to notice, I think we got a couple new followers this week to the gram. Thank you so much for following us. Uh, Thank welcome, you. Welcome to our Instagram. So, <laughs> Welcome, friends. Hello, welcome. hello, hello. Thank you. Thank you. As yeah. always, uh, thank you for liking. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for commenting. Thank you for the recommendations. We are so glad you have decided to spend your morning, your afternoon, your evening with us. Um, if you're listening to us in your car, um, if you're doing chores, thank you. Um, each and every one of you, um, when you're a podcast and you're especially a small podcast and you're still learning the trade, we've been here for almost a year now. We're coming up on our one year. Um, it is no. so... Um, I guess heartwarming to just see you guys mm-hmm. and to see your likes and to see your comments or for you guys to message us. Um, each and every single one of you is appreciative or appreciated um, by us. Um, so mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you so much again for joining us and listening to us um, talk about movies. Um, we are so glad you're here Aww. with us and thank you again. Thank you so much. We love you guys. And yeah, I'm always excited to see new friends on the Instagram and new listeners um you guys have like been steadily listening and we really appreciate it we have like an uptick in listeners every week and that's really cool and thanks for listening and we appreciate it i don't say this enough and i know it feels like a grind to say this but um don't forget to like and subscribe if you can rate us especially on apple podcasts that gets us you know 
suggested to other people. So there might be people who would love this podcast um, or maybe hate it so passionately that they talk about it. Um, <laughs> like me and Cats the Musical. Um, <laughs> and they might, you know, want to listen to it and it might be the only way they see it. So please like, share, and subscribe. Um, thank you if you already have. And we just want to thank you guys for being amazing. And we love you guys. And going to stop being sappy now. But we really appreciate you guys being on this journey with us. It's humbling. It is. And yes. And um, drink your water. Yep. Oh, wait, that's Britt's line. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Take, Hi- take your vitamins. Wash I your hands. Your that's, your, that's Katie's line. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Something with water. Wash your hands, y'all. <laughs> take your vitamins. Wear a mask. I know a lot of places are lifting ordinances. Please, 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 please. If you are going to be in public with people that are not in your family, just wear a mask. We're all used to it by now. Nobody wants to see the bottom half of your face anyways. I mean, nobody wants to see that anymore. Um, And just be careful and be safe and be kind to one another. Um, Yeah, I guess. And and be be good. And have fun. Watch some fun movies. Watch some some of the um, Oscar nominees yeah we and tell us what you think about them oh yeah please please do um tell us um what you guys think of promising young women not right now because we don't want the movie to be spoiled with us but after the episode um we hope you watch it um when we release next week's episode that you listen and then you comment and let us know what you thought we we love hearing what you guys think about the movies as well I'm excited. Me too. This one looks fun. Okay, well, I guess we'll say goodnight. Yes. As always, guys, thank you for tuning in. We look forward to seeing you um, same time, same spoopy channel. Stay spoopy, y'all. Stay spoopy, y'all. Bye, Katie. Have a good night. Bye, Britt. Have a good night, guys. Bye, Pogo. Good night. Bye. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by katie dale and Brittany ray and edited by katie dale all music used is royalty free and will be in our annotations if you have any questions comments suggestions please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com thanks for listening we'll see you soon